Upper Room Discourse, where we dissect the meaning of Christian music and the history of Scripture. I'm Felipe Marin. And I'm Dakota Childress. What will we discuss this week? Keep listening to find out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Upper Room Discourse. Today, we are greeting you from Notre Dame, out in uh, France. France, thank you. On a, yeah, these are the bells that were played on Christmas Day. <laughs> exactly. Um, now we're not really in France, of course. Uh, that costs a lot of money to go there. That is true, and that's money we don't have. Uh, so, what are we looking at this week? Advent week two. Yes. Uh, we're going to be looking this week at peace, which is the second candle. Uh, so obviously we've talked about it. We talked about it last week. Advent uh, basically comes from the Latin adventus, meaning arrival. And basically we're looking at the Sundays leading up to Christmas. Right. You know. And then the meaning of Christmas. and Yeah, and that's kind of all kind of put in there. And uh, kind of what I found in my studying is, you know, Advent is not so much looking back at the first coming of Christ, but also looking forward to the second coming as well. Right. So uh, obviously we know there's four candles. So the second candle, which is a purple candle, is called the candle of peace. Uh, and it represents the peace that we can have because of the arrival of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week, but Isaiah 9, it tells us that Jesus, this child that is to be born, he is the prince of peace. And uh, the verse that I brought out today is obviously, we talked about it last week, uh, but Luke 2.14, you know, the carol or the proclamation of the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And uh, the other verse that I want to bring out is, uh, I'm not going to read it, but Philippians 4, 7, it talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding, and that is the peace of God. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Yeah, and I think that we find um, quite frequent, frequent, can't even say the word right now, quite quite frequently, there we go, um, that, you know, scripture, the Bible uh, teaches that God, uh, while he is a God of wrath, mm-hmm. while he is a God of judgment, he is also a God of peace yes. and um, more peace for his children and those he loves and those who loves them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is a God of peace as well as a God of wrath. Absolutely. Now try to wrap your mind around that. So it's not easy to wrap your head around <laughs> no. that. So uh, surprise, surprise, uh, the song that we're looking at today is called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Uh, which, by the way, it's what we're listening to right now. The bells Some Christmas bells. From Christmas Day. Yeah. Uh, so this is actually a Christmas carol. It's an older, well, I don't want to use the word older because I guess in comparison it's not really that old. It was written in the 1800s. It's like 200 years old. Yeah, but it's not as old as like a thousand years old. Yeah, it's not as old as, um, <laughs> what is it, A Mighty Fortress? Yeah, which it's is not probably as old like as A Mighty Fortress. 500 years old now, Yeah, but... Uh, But it actually finds its origins in the Civil War here in America. Uh, It was written on Christmas Day in 1863, and it was originally a poem that was written. Yeah, I'd like to, man, now that you said that, I'd like to go read the story behind this. Well, actually, Uh, I was going to mention it at the end. Uh, They actually made a movie that's like the life of uh, the author of this poem and kind of the writing of this song. You know, it came out last year in December. Interesting. What's the name of it? It's called I Heard the Bells, I believe. 
That's the name of the movie? Yes. I have to write that down. Yeah. Get, it's called it. I Heard the Bells. It came out in 2022. Uh, so, obviously, we've been talking about it. It was written, obviously, by somebody. Uh, so, it was written by American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He was born in 1807. And a little bit of, I guess, history about him. He, uh, After graduating college, he actually spent some time in Europe. Uh, but he returned to the United States in 1836, and he actually took a position at Harvard as a professor. And it wasn't until 1839 that he started publishing poetry. Seems like a lot of people during that time were yeah. getting into poetry. Yeah, I guess it's just you know, that like, time. Because, I mean, I guess that's around the you know same era, I guess, mm-hmm. as like Edgar Allan Poe. It is, I and then, think so, yeah. And there's others, but, you know, he's the first one that just came to mind. I'm not a big poet guy. Yeah. But. Uh, so it wasn't until 1872 that this poem was set to music, uh, and it was actually by an English organist, John Baptiste Calkin, and it's actually a melody that he had used in other different hymns and stuff like that. So just some interesting, I guess, knowledge about it. So, so he was copywriting his own work. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, even like the what I have here, uh, it's very different. Very different, yeah. Uh, it's it's actually the same melody as Uplift the Banner, if anybody knows that old hymn. Uplift the Banner. It's the same melody as I Heard the Bells. Hmm. At least the original melody that uh, John Baptiste Calkin used. Uh, so it's it's very simple order of lyrics. It's just verses. Um, usually when you see it in a hymnal, it's going to be five verses. But there were actually seven stanzas in the poem. And uh, they actually cut out two of the verses normally, uh, which makes sense why they cut it out, because those two verses very strongly speak of the Civil War and of the context. Right. Uh, but normally the stanzas we'll see are one, two, three, six, and seven, and uh, often not in that order. Oftentimes you'll see like stanza three gets put as the final stanza when this is put into a hymnal. you know, Or when people do covers of the song, because there are many covers of the song as we were looking at earlier. Yeah, we listened to... Well, I mean, if you look it up on Apple Music, there's like 10, At maybe, least. <laughs> and 9 out of 10 of them are not that good. I mean, they're okay, but they're not like great. They're not what you're used to, mm-hmm. and it kind of just makes it a little, like, I mean, you can sing however you want, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's just the way, I guess it was written originally, and the way we still sing it, at least here at Oakview. Um to be different. Yeah, and some of them artists, I don't think they do it justice by not singing it in the original melody, tune, key, whatever. Yeah, they change up the melodies. Sometimes they add a chorus to it, stuff like that. Yeah, it's just not as good to me. I agree, 100%. But we're not reviewing those. We're reviewing the original. Yeah, and uh, the the version that I'll have in our playlist, uh, because we do have a playlist, in case you didn't know, that has all the songs that we review. Uh, But the version I'll put in the playlist will be Echo Smith's version, uh, which for me, I found as like, close to the original sound melody but still sounding good yeah and it also like it puts kind of a modern Mm -hmm. like i'm not gonna say twist it does a little bit a little bit of a twist i'd say more like a zing yeah that's a good modern zing yeah we're gonna start using that a modern zing (laughs) copyright so song type i put it as a personal testimony because that's really what it is it's his testimony of his christmas day you know, and you have to understand, you know, Henry uh, Wadsworth Longfellow, he had a lot of things going on. You know, he, his son was actually went and fought in the war and was actually injured pretty badly. 
you know, uh, again, I guess we'd have to watch the movie to know the full story because I don't know the full story. I just know little bits and pieces. Uh, but I think this is a very beautiful poem written, you know, really, I mean, the message of the song is peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what the message of the song is, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it looks like he puts that at the end of every... It does. Yeah. Every does. single... Every stanza. Stanza, yeah. I put the audience, the world. Basically, anybody that listens to this is the audience for the song. Yeah, it goes, you know, along with uh, the same passage in Luke. Mm-hmm. You know, the what the angels came were telling everybody. You know, it's for all men. Yeah, it's the good news, um, which we talked about it last week. Where good mm-hmm. news comes from that that word there, uh, Evangelion. Yeah, um, which you know comes out to translate roughly to like uh, evangelism. Yeah. Or something like that, um, and it means good news, and so that's what they came. You know, preaching was the good news of the arrival, Adventus, mm-hmm. yeah. um, of the Christ, the awaited one, the anointed one, is what Christ means, Messiah. Um, and so, you know, that's for everybody, mm-hmm. not for you know just believers, for non-believers, for um, people who have good good Christmases, you know, yeah. uh, get everything they want. And for those who uh, don't get diddly squat because, mm-hmm. you know, they can't. Um, it kind of sounds bad to say like diddly squat, but um, I mean, it's for everybody. You know, that, that one gift is a gift that everybody can have, you know, yeah. and, it, and it was set forth, you know, an eternity ago. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, so now that our bells have finished playing, I think it's a great time to jump into the review of the song. So, poem. Well, yeah, poem. Uh, but we're going to look at the music side first. So musicality, looking at singability, looking at the melody, how easy it is to sing, stuff like that. Uh, original key is E-flat. Now, the song has been redone so many times in so many keys. It's kind of hard to find an original key for this song. Uh, again, I'm looking at a much older hymnal, which is the same melody, but it's a different hymn because, again, he reused this melody for multiple things. Mm. Man, you know who we could have asked for an old hymnal that probably would have this song in it? Mm. Our choir director. Yeah, that's true. Because he, he, he has some old ones. Uh, now, melody is super simple. There's only two lines of melody. And technically, rhythmically, it's really only one line that's repeated twice because it's the same rhythm for two lines so again super super simple mm-hmm. uh, there is a little bit of a call and response which I like you know I you know me I always like having a call and response uh, but it's not like a huge call and response you know we kind of uh, we do kind of expand the whole octave we start on that E flat uh, we hit the high E flat pretty quickly and then it's just kind of coming down from there uh, we do jump around a little bit but For the most part, the notes are like ascending, descending, close together for the most part. Kind of reminds, you know, listening to those bells Mm -hmm. and talking about, you know, hitting the high note fairly quick. That's kind of how a bell works. Yeah. They hit the high note very quickly and then it just kind of mellows out. That's true. That is true. Uh, I do think that it falls into the category of being a little boring, usually. I think it's a little bit of a boring melody. There's not really a lot of exciting things going on with it. Trying to play it in my head right now. That's why I'm bopping back and forth. Yeah. Um it's very simple. It's and it's slow. 
usually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This one I don't feel as boring <laughs> as we were viewing a song a few weeks ago, and it was slow, and I called it boring. That was boring. This one, I don't know. I guess because it's like Christmas time. Yeah, it's true. And you know, I, I think that helps redeem it a little bit. Is because it's Christmas, and we're like, yeah, Christmas, yeah. you know. But you know, we also get the uh, organ and the mm-hmm. piano in there, and they get hit the high notes. And, yeah. So I guess that's like what I'm used to is like how we orchestrate it, and then going and listening to some of those versions were slow and boring. Yes. And <laughs> I was just like, Ugh. I turned them off after about ten seconds. I know because it's like it's hard to listen to. It's just so simple. It's and it's nothing against it. Like. Like, it's on the same level as, like, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Right. Like, I mean, obviously, that's pretty boring. It's a super simple melody, kind of boring. It's not that you don't really, it's not you don't like it. It's just, right. it's not a bop. You don't see me shaking my head to I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I do catch myself singing it in my head, though. Yeah. But not, like, you know, jamming out to it. Yeah. Uh, I wrote down that the music is not why I like this song. It's actually the lyrics. The music is just kind of whatever. It's just there, so there's music. I feel like the song really shines in its lyrics, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll kind of segue into. Uh, so I give it a four out of five on musicality. I don't think there'll be any argument there. Like, it's good, but it's not, like, awesome. I mean, if then just bad. bump it down to a three. It could be a three if you want, yeah. I kind of was like, maybe a three and a half. Well, I mean, if it's not that good, <laughs> it's got to be a three. That's fair. Uh, But Poeticness, it is a beautifully written poem. Uh, There is a rhyming scheme. So it's a A A B B C rhyming scheme. And the C line ends every stanza, as we said earlier. Yes, the same exact line in every stanza. Yes. Every stanza. And what I love is how it tells a story. I always love when a song tells a story. It's not always the easiest thing to do. Yeah, and it actually keeps, like, the theme going. Mm Mm-hmm the whole song yeah you know it's not like some of these modern songs where um they got the bridge and it's like a break you know in the story to tell some kind of like side thing going on and then oh hey we're back to the yeah main plot right uh this one just keeps it straight there well i I mean i guess it does i mean later on but even Mm -hmm. still i mean you kind of got to remember when it was written yeah and like the situation going on there uh so this is I mean, even though it was written on Christmas Day, there's mm-hmm. a little bit more going on. Yeah. And why he writes the song. Absolutely. And uh, I actually wanted to read the poem to you guys. Uh, when I get to stanzas uh, four and five, you'll understand why they're not usually added in hymnals or right. read. Uh, but yeah, here it is. Uh, the name of the poem is Christmas Bells, written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent, and made forlorn 
the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Some powerful uh, lyrics right there. It's a beautiful poem. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I, I don't think I'd really need to say anything else other than that. Obviously, a five out of five. Yeah, <laughs> six out of five. If we could, if it was possible, absolutely. The imagery is what I like. I mean, because mm-hmm. you know, you get that the bells. I mean, obviously, he's not talking about describing you know, how the bells sound or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess a little bit, you know, wild and sweet. It's familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it kind of sets the tone, I guess, more the mood or the atmosphere. Yeah, that's true. Instead of setting a specific, you know, scene in your head. Like, I guess, like, the scene I get is, you know, a field, you know, old school church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's got the bell tower, of course. Bells ring in. Yep. You know, I guess that's a scene in my head. Um but you do kind of get this story along the way, which I like, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially towards the end where you think that, you know, the bells are dead because, and I mean, he kind of explains that because yeah. of all the cannon fire and, and whatever. The violence and the going on. Yeah, and the violence. You know, and Longfellow was very opposed to the war. Uh, he was an abolitionist. Uh, he was just, for him, it was just all the war and all the fighting. That was more the issue for him. Yeah, and I think that makes the... You know, the last stanza even, or the last two stanzas, mm-hmm. um, stand out even more, you know, because yeah, the bells are going to keep ringing, and the bells do ring. Mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of um, of um, the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, that is true. In a sense. Uh, moving on into evocation, uh, basically the vibe check. Uh, I do think that this passes the vibe check, for sure. I don't think there's anything like negative feelings from this song, really. I mean, honestly, the message is peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, that's the message. I wrote down the strongest feelings from hearing this song is peace and comfort. You know, in the middle of a war, when it feels like there is no peace, this song reminds us of that proclamation of the angels, and it also reminds us that God is in control, and one day there will be peace on earth. You know, wrong will fail, right will prevail one day. And I really love that about the song. Uh, now, I did give it a four out of five on evocation. And uh, this is kind of the why. Uh, is because of the way it's written and the language used. You know, it's not easy to understand. I think you really need to sit down and sit and read through the lyrics to understand the song and the meaning of it. And I think it just struggles in the same way that a lot of old hymns struggle. In that a lot of younger people, they just don't want to listen to it. Because they're like, that's too hard. You know, which is not anything negative against the song. But when you play it, you know, in a church or something like that, I feel like sometimes people check out because of that. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's pretty much fine the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only, you know, questionable part as far as, you know, understand what's being said is, what is it, stanza one? Stanza five? 
it was as if an earthquake rent. Yeah. I mean, but we still understand what the meaning of rent is because, you know, a lot of people read out the King James. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the hearthstones of a continent, I guess that's a little like, what the heck's hearthstone? I have no idea what Um, hearthstone is. Made forlorn. Um, I mean, you know, you don't use that word, but Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it's a better word than, um, you know, like sad. Absolutely. Or like depressed. I wouldn't want to change anything with it. Uh, I just know that, you know, talking about younger people, you know, when I say younger people, I mean, this could be people up to like their thirties, forties, you know, but I feel like they might struggle with this song just because they're like, that's a lot of words and all that, which, I mean, that's not on the song. That's totally on the people. Yeah. You just gotta, I mean, you have to look into it and Mm -hmm. do your research and that is on the people. Yeah. Because I mean, if you can do your research on, you know, if we're talking about like people are in thirties, forties, maybe even fifties, mm-hmm. um, I can about bet you like at least 50% of that, you know, those people from that age range listen to like any kind of like metal oh, yeah. or like rock and roll pop, um, you know, country from, you know, the seventies to the mid mm-hmm. nineties and they could have told you like, they could have broken those songs down for you. So yeah, it's true. Um, it is definitely like, you know, just getting into it and understanding the song. Mm-hmm. Moving on into lyrics, looking at the scripture and how much scripture is in the song. Uh, so obviously there's a main one. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I think that's pretty obvious throughout the whole song. Uh, but other than that, I feel like most of this song is really just original. You know, he's talking about his current context. Uh, I think the only stanza that really finds strong references with scripture is obviously the final stanza. Yeah, I was just about to bring that into, mm-hmm. um, what is it, Psalm 121? Yeah, Psalm, Psalm 121. 121, specifically verses 3 and 4. Yep. But uh, it says that he who keeps you. Uh, will neither slumber nor sleep. Yeah, I was trying to, like, I was like, we, I should know this. I memorized it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we memorized this. That was, yeah, that was a long time ago. Weeks ago. Uh, I mean, I know verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, but yeah, that's true. Nor doth he sleep. God does not slumber. God does not sleep. Uh, God is not dead. I mean, find references to that in all the scripture. I mean, God is called the living God. It's mm-hmm. who he's called. Uh, specifically, I wanted to bring up Jeremiah 10.10, 10, which I think is a very good go-to verse. It says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. I feel like this is a very powerful verse, just kind of explaining that. Yeah, and we even see that, you know, all the way at Genesis. Mm -hmm. You know, his wrath, um, you know, the wrong shall fail, the right prevail. Mm -hmm. That's literally Genesis chapter 3. It is the whole Bible, and you literally see that in Genesis chapter 3. Beginning. Yeah. You know, I wrote so. down that that's foretold in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You know, we see the full completion of that in Revelation 19 and 20. Yeah. You know, when Jesus comes and conquers, when Satan is bound, thrown into the lake of fire, like we see that it will one day happen. Um, I gave it a four out of five, uh, mostly because there's not a lot of scripture here. That's really the only thing is like, it's just mostly an original song, which is nothing against it. Yeah, if we're basing it off like purely how much scripture is in there, two. Yeah. Two out of five. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Um, because, I mean, it does have scripture, but, I mean, it's literally like 
the last the last stanza. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it does have, you know, the last line in each stanza, but it's really the last stanza. Mm-hmm. That yeah. really kind of cements that in, absolutely. Right. Uh, so it kind of com- comes to a final score of 4.25 out of 5, which is not a bad score. I mean, you could probably argue it's a 4 out of 5, honestly. Yeah, I'd say at its lowest, it's probably like a 3. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe at its highest, a 3.5. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's just, you know, the lacking side is, you know, scripture, which I don't think there's mm-hmm. anything wrong with it. No, lacking specific scripture, as long as like the references are there and you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're going based off of like, you know, straight up, is this, you know, can I tell what part or what verse this specific mm-hmm. line is from? I think it lacks in that department a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. 98% of the song. Yeah. I love this song a lot. Uh, it's very Christmassy. I feel like this is like the Christmas hymn that you play on Christmas Day. I don't know. It might just be me. This one in Joy to the World? Yeah, but Joy to the World is not really a Christmas song. I mean, I like it. I mean, we play it, though. I know. And I love having it at Christmas. I wish we would play it at not only at Christmas because it's not a Christmas song. I, f- I would love to hear it at other times of the year as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the main, like, Christmas hymns or Christmas songs we play, but those are like the only two coming to mind right now. Silent Night. Oh yeah, Silent Night. Obviously. That one's even more boring than this, but I don't even think we're reviewing that song. (laughs) We're not. Uh, But that one is kind of boring a little bit. Uh, Musically, it does not sound very Christmassy. I'll give it that. Lyrically, I mean, absolutely. It literally says Christmas in it. So lyrically, it's very strong, strong Christmas. Musically, not so much. It's kind of, again, just generic melody. You know, the music's not the important part. It's the lyrics that are important. So what you're saying is it's kind of like the Die Hard of Christmas movies. Die Hard has nothing to do with Christmas. I mean, this is like, you know. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Exactly. It's like, or I guess that would be Joy to the World is the Die Hard of yeah. Christmas songs. Yeah. There you go. It's like This it's, one's a close second. It's kind of Christmassy, but at the same time, not really Christmassy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the big question, should you play this on a Sunday morning with a congregation? Why not? I mean, I, We do. Yes, you should. I, I heard some hesitation there because you should only really play this around Christmas time, I feel like. If you play this any other time of the year, people are like, why are you playing this? Right. Yeah, <laughs> keep this song to like Sunday morning, Christmas time. Yeah. And you'll be all right. Uh, the other thing is it's not a song of praise. I mean, the obvious, like... It's not. It's really just a testimony. I think it works best if you open a service with this. You know, maybe a choir special as people are walking in or something, or I don't know. Or even just like a solo. You know, open it with a solo or do it as a special music. You know, I think this song works best when you just sit and listen to it. Not so much sit there and sing together with it, but more listen and really let those words sink in. I think that's where the song really shines, when you were to play it in a church. I don't mind singing it. No, I don't either. I think we should. I mean, we're probably going to end up playing it like what? It's upcoming Sunday, maybe? Oh, probably. I would hope so. Probably. Uh, but yeah, I don't have any issues with singing it. I just think it's more strong or works stronger as kind of more of that solo special music piece. You know, let people listen to those lyrics, hear what they're saying. Right. Uh, but that's basically the review. I mean, I don't really have much else other than watch the movie. It's called I Heard the Bells. It came out in 2022. Yeah, I wrote that down. It's on, a, to watch it. it's on Amazon Prime, I think. You have to rent it. It's like five bucks. Not that we endorse Amazon in any type of way. You know, I could just pull it up. YouTube can see my... Uh, I can't show it on YouTube. 
It's, there's uh, moving stuff on the screen. Uh, but yeah, it's called I Heard the Bells. Known as America's poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow leads an idyllic life. I think that's the word. Man, they're using hard words here. Until the day his world is shattered by tragedy. With a nation divided by civil war and his family torn apart, Henry puts down his pen, silenced by grief. But it's the sound of Christmas morning that reignites the poet's lost voice as he discovers the resounding hope of kindled faith. It's pretty cool, like, subtext of the movie. Yeah, y'all should watch it. It's on Amazon. Well, now it's time for a little break. Yep. And then um, we'll be getting into our book. Yep. On Mark. Book study and word study. Oakview Baptist Church is located at 810 Oakview Road on the corner of Johnson Street and Oakview. Join us for Bible Fellowship every Sunday morning from 930 to 1030 and for service from 1045 to noon or on Sunday evenings from 6 to 7 for our evening service. If you are college age or a young adult, you can join us for The View on Sunday evening at the same time as the main service. On Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8, we have Word of Life for the Youth, Awana and Cubbies for the Kids, and an adult Bible study led by our pastor. Check out the links in the description of the YouTube video for past services or more info. Looks like we're back. Um, so, going to be talking about Mark this week. Mm. Um, and what do you know about Mark? Is, Anything is one of the four gospels. Yep, it's uh, it's the shortest gospel. I know that. Yep. Do you know anything about the person who wrote the Gospel of Mark? Um, I believe isn't it written uh, mostly about Peter's perspective or from Peter? Is kind of the source material. I could be wrong by that. Kind I believe John of. Mark is who actually wrote it. Yeah, John Mark's who wrote it. Um, and why is John Mark even important? He's associated with the greatest New Testament person besides Jesus. Oh, with Paul. Yeah. Uh, so he traveled around with Paul for a period of time. I believe after um, him and Barnabas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, broke apart. I believe. I believe that's that. Uh, John Mark continued with Paul. I believe that's when that happened. Yeah. Um. So, and it's kind of interesting, right? You think about it. Matthew, mm-hmm. disciple. Mm-hmm. Luke. Wow. Luke's not a disciple. Either. No, he's not. <laughs> so, and then John, disciple. Disciple. So you know, it's uh, it's really interesting. You got two disciples who write a gospel, mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily from their own perspective. John is. From, yeah. mostly from his perspective um, and then Matthew and then you have Mark and Luke and it's kind of like mm-hmm. okay why are these two randos yeah writing gospels right um, but and when you read Mark it kind of makes sense why it's written the way it is mm-hmm. um, and why you know you could argue that so much information is left out mm. Um and that's because he wasn't an eyewitness to any of these events. Yeah, that's true. Um, he came, like we said, you know, with, along with Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul, who's, you know, Saul, who's also called Paul. Yeah. Um, thereafter, 
Jesus dies. And then, you know, the whole situation where, you know, Paul's breathing out threats, killing, mm-hmm. and then he becomes saved on Damascus. And then later on down the line, we get this guy. So anyways, enough about John Mark um, and more about the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I have a study Bible here, and it says that, um, you know, it's written to Christian believers. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, you know, that could also make sense in why, you know, the content is the way it is. And we'll get into, you know, um, and we'll get into that because Mark is short. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many chapters do you think? What do I feel Don't like? Cheat. What do I feel like 18 is in my head? Don't cheat. Uh, 16. I was close. 16. You were close. But isn't like the last chapter, like not really there? Uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 16 chapters um, compared to, and we talked about this last week when we went over Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, it's debated heavily on whether Matthew or Mark was written first. Yeah. Uh, and you could really kind of argue either way. And it, and it really comes down to, okay, Mark has these events that are left out. Mm-hmm. And so Mark is going, I mean, Matthew is going back and, you know, adding these events in that Mark mm-hmm. forgot. Or, you know, Matthew wrote about all these events, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so Mark is like, all right, well, you got Matthew's side. Let me just <laughs> skip all that. Right? Yeah. And so, and that's kind of what happens. Uh, you get to chapter one and... We just jump straight in. Yeah. Where where do we pick up doesn't in chapter one? Doesn't it start with just John the Baptist? Like, it just goes straight into it? Straight up, John the Baptist. Um, you know, the only verse, you know, that mentions Jesus, you know, before anything about John the Baptist mm-hmm. is uh, one and two. And it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Mm. And it's funny because it's, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're starting out with John the Baptist. Yeah. Uh, it kind of sets the tone for the whole gospel, I feel like, straight into the point. It does. <laughs> and and that's why, like, I think out of all the gospels, this is my favorite one. Mm. Um, yeah, John is very deep. And I think everybody's like, oh, yeah, John's my favorite. And I'm like, yeah, but Mark. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, straight to the point. Um, John the Baptist, chapter one, um, we get the baptism of Jesus and it's all brief, Mm -hmm. um, very succinct, you know, and I think if, you know, you're wanting to identify, um, a passage from Mark, like if somebody's just throwing out scripture, if it's brief straight to the point, it's probably Mark. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, he doesn't add a lot. And like we, like we just keep saying. You probably don't all. You probably don't even think of the Mark reference, honestly. When they say something, you're probably like, "Oh, that's in Matthew, or that's in right. Luke." You know, you're like, "Oh, it's also in Mark." I forgot about that. Right, like, uh, you know, in chapter one, uh, you get twelve verses in, mm-hmm. uh, and you're at Jesus' temptation, and there's only two verses devoted yeah. to this. So if that explains to you how brief Mark is about things, which I mean, like, mm-hmm. like we said, it's understandable because he wasn't there and he doesn't yeah. have all that testimony. Right? Yeah. Um. So chapters one through five, similar content as to what Matthew has, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, healing, miracles, and parables. Um, But I think Mark focuses a lot more on this aspect, the healing and the miracles aspect. Yes. Than the teaching and the parables. And and if you really read Mark, you see that Mm -hmm. in comparison to, you know, Matthew and Luke, because he leaves out tons of parables and tons of teaching. And, you know, going through this, and there and there is a reason for this, mm-hmm. okay? And we'll get to that in a second, um, but we got to, you know, get through five more chapters. Um, so the next section of chapters, uh, six through eight, uh, Jesus just travels around. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not he's just he's not just traveling around, but he's traveling around doing stuff, uh, healing people again. Um, you know, casting out demons. Yeah. Uh, you know, disciples are kind of questioning who he is, uh, why he's doing these things, and then you know, chapter eight. Um, we get a pretty uh important passage, a couple of them. Uh, you know, Jesus feeds the four thousand, mm-hmm. and there's debate on how many times that happens. Um. And I think I was looking when doing this, um, there is a feeding of the 5,000. Mm-hmm. Yes. And by Mark's account, there is a feeding of the 4,000. Yes. And the 5,000 happened first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, and then we get, you know, a very important um, passage, you know, Mark eight twenty seven through 30, where Peter confesses who Jesus is mm-hmm. as the Messiah. And so, you know, like I said, brief to the point. Um, you know, chapter nine, he heals a demon possessed boy. And, you know, this is one of the one times where, you know, Mark actually goes into depth about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the disciples argue. Yeah. I feel like they're arguing all the time. They do. They argue a lot. And Jesus, I don't know. I feel like sometimes he's just like, guys, can you all chill out? <laughs> you know? Um, but I don't want to speak anything into, you know, scripture that isn't mm-hmm. there. Um, but, you know, just continue on. We get to chapter 9 through 13. And, um, you know, he's finally going from, you know, all around the Galilean area, finally towards Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You know, so he kind of makes this big old circle. Yep. And he comes back to Jerusalem. Um, and we get to chapter 10, uh, you know, five chapters later. And he's predicting his death. You know, he's been speaking. Um, he blesses little children. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about the stone. It's better to, you know, tie a stone to your foot and drown than to make a child stumble. Yep. Um, and then towards the end of towards the end of the chapter, okay, disciples once again, you know, they're kind of discussing and arguing um, about, you know, who the greatest is, who's going to have the most recognition, mm-hmm. you know. And we get to the last two verses, and this kind of sets up, uh, the entire book, why Mark writes, okay, why he puts in specific information and why he leaves out all the parables yeah. and all the teachings. And it, and it's uh, verses 40, I'll just start in 43 and work in through 45, right? Um, but it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sets up the whole why Mark writes. Yeah. He's presenting Jesus as his servant. And I think we see that through all the amounts of time, all the amount of times that he heals somebody, that he's mm-hmm. doing for something for somebody. And I think it's impossible to pass that up. Yeah. And, you know, and he does it in such a peaceful way. Mm. And not in a sense like uh, he's a pushover, um, but... I think sometimes, you know, you might read into it a little bit and, you know, agi- hear agitation in his voice maybe. Mm-hmm. That's, that might be the wrong word to use. Yeah. Um, because he might be tired. You know, sometimes you read that he's tired. He just wants to get home. Yeah, a little you know. bit of sorrow. Right. And and then you also read that, you know, he he feels compassion for the people. Mm-hmm. And so he, he heals them. He serves them. And that's his whole purpose. And even to death, the ransom for many part. And so that's why um, that's why Mark writes. That's why mm-hmm. he's so brief. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he doesn't want to take this time to 
you know, write about all these different things Mm -hmm. and he could, um, but he wants to keep it straight to the point. Yeah. Um, and some of the things, um, I kind of wrote them down here that Mark skips, um, but you can find them in Matthew, right? Jesus' birth, Mm -hmm. uh, Beatitudes. So the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Good Samaritan, uh, one of my favorite, um, teachings, one of my favorite passages, Mark, uh, Matthew six and Luke 12 teaching on anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, just about every single parable you could think of. And then Lazarus um, yeah. is not mentioned in Mark at all, which is pretty surprising. And then I started to write down things that Mark, um, you know, does not elaborate on. Mm. And then I was like, you know, the things that he does elaborate, like he does mention, they're about the same length as what's mm. found in Matthew. So it's pretty interesting. Like all the miracles yeah. and everything, they're about like relatively the same verse length. So, you know, getting into the last uh, portion, we get into Jerusalem again. And, and like Matthew and Mark, they almost follow the same exact course of events. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say specifically like picture for picture, mm-hmm. but they're very close. And then uh, 14 through 16, it's just kind of that how does it end? Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a bit of debate on whether you include uh, the ending to chapter 16 yeah you know you go from you know um not in the original manuscripts yeah and so this is all about you know passover to the death and resurrection um and it's very quick and so yeah in early manuscripts um we'll just kind of look at it right quick if i ever get there Mm -hmm. but chapter 16 kind of just ends uh where do you think it ends where's chapter what part of Jesus' life? Where does it? It just ends with the resurrection, right? It's just like the resurrection and that's it. Yeah, so the resurrection, it just kind of stops. Yeah, it's like Jesus arose. Right. The, the end. The end. <laughs> Basically, like almost like a storybook ending kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, you want to know what happens later. And then um, later manuscripts add verses 9 through 20, mm-hmm. something roughly like that. Um, I have an NASB uh, from Zondervan, I think, and it adds that. Um, I don't think, and that's and that's a good question to bring up. Mm-hmm. So when dealing with a book like Mark and dealing with chapter 16, how do we go about the ending to Mark? Do we, do we count it as canon, as scripture? What do we do with it? What do you think? Well, I think we kind of see where it lines up, you know, with other scripture. You know, does it line up and does it say the same thing that other scripture says? You know, and if it does, I think, you know, fine, just keep it, you know. But if we want to be technical with it, you know, if it wasn't there originally, then we shouldn't have it there technically. Yeah, and it's kind of, and I think that's why a lot of Bibles do leave it out Mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't there originally and it's like, it doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And then I think some, you know, Bibles probably add it, Mm -hmm. um, at least, you know, verses 9 through 18. Yeah. Uh, where it's talking about, you know, who he appeared to mm-hmm. and, like, you know, Mark's succinct Great Commission. Yeah. And, I mean, again, we find that in other scripture. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like somebody just took something from the other part and just added it there. Yeah. And I would say, like, the real problems that arise with it uh, actually starts in verse 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will yeah. lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I mean, and the problem 
the problem with that is uh, that's what disciples, that's mm-hmm. what the apostles were doing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and you don't see that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, based on this verse, um, there's a, what denomination is it that's kind of loosely based off this verse? Is it the Pentecostals? I have no idea. I didn't know there was one. I know I know uh one of the denominations I think it's Pentecostal. It's possible. I think they believe in that you can still do stuff like this they, like just pick up snakes and mm. like venomous snakes and deal with them. Yeah. Um you know drink poisons and be fine. I'm not entirely sure about that. Um that's at least what I've heard do some research on that mm-hmm. um on your own time those of you listening. Uh because you'll find some interesting stuff that um denominations gravitate towards yeah that's different from others right and kind of you know make their central doctrine Mm. and i think this is one central doctrine and i think it's pentecostals but i could be mistaken interesting um by the way uh psa don't pick up a venomous snake (laughs) yeah you're not moses or aaron or an apostle please don't do that unless you know what you're doing and i mean like yeah i mean god's gonna protect us but I mean, don't be stupid. Like, you know, if you get bit by a venomous snake, you're probably going to die. Like, God's not going to, like, open up the heavens and, like, heal you and be like, you're saved because you chose to go let yourself be bitten by a snake. It would be a different story if you're, like, captured and, like, imprisoned and then they, like, send a snake to you and then God, like, saves you. That's different. Right. You know? Yeah, don't be stupid. You know, I wear wear a bracelet um, and it's got – this isn't from Mark. It's from Mm -hmm. Matthew, Matthew 19, 26 kind of the short version um with god all things are possible (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know that may be true but that doesn't mean you should do it yeah you know it may be possible to pick up a venomous snake but it's also possible that you're going to get bit and die it's true you know it's true um but that's just kind of how mark ends um so i mean you can debate in your head back and forth on whether uh nine through 20 should be there and something actually pretty interesting is um verse 20 um, this is even later than uh, verses nine through eighteen in terms of addition. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you can go read that on your own time. But like I said, Mark is very straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have the time to mess around really, and that's why I like it. Yeah, you know, I in terms of you know what book, what gospel, I would recommend somebody to read first. Mm-hmm. This one. Yeah, right here. I think I would stand on that. I'd either like push them to Mark first or John. I think either one of those two I think would be excellent ones to go to first. I think for somebody um, who is new to the faith mm-hmm. or somebody who is nowhere, you know, who isn't saved. Yeah, Mark, I think I, for sure. I think yeah, Mark. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're wanting to read a gospel first, and maybe you've been saved a few months, mm-hmm. or you know. Uh, you may have that you know level of deepness to your maturity or intelligence, and you're not saved. Mm-hmm. Then read John. Absolutely. I'm not. I'm not going to say you're going to understand everything that's in yeah. it. Um, like you might understand things on a surface level. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to read John, go for it. You know, it can't stop you from doing that. But I would point you to Mark because it's so short yeah. and it's to the point. And you know, he just and it's there. The gospel's there. It has mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. You know, 
the only thing that's left out, like we said, is, you know, the birth of Christ. Yeah. Because you can go read Matthew and Luke and they spend three chapters on it each and are really fine. It's true. And I mean, you know, you have to understand, you know, Matthew was written to a Jewish person. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not a Jew, it's going to be a lot harder to understand Matthew because there's so many Old Testament references. You know, Mark is kind of like, no, let's just tell you the story and let's just jump into it. You know, I don't expect you to be a Jew. You know, I'm just going to write. Yeah, and I think that's why he leaves out a lot of the mm. Old Testament references. Yeah. And because, I mean, what, what, what Gentile exactly. is really going to understand that? And they're not going to know it. Exactly. They'll be like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, you read plenty of times where, you know, Paul mm-hmm. has to adjust his teaching style and preaching style. Yeah. You know, um, because the people don't understand. He's like in Asia Minor, Greece. Yeah, that's true. Places like that where they aren't familiar mm with um Jewish customs. It's like that it's like that one where he walks into the city and he sees the statue there to the unnamed god. Oh yeah, and he's like that's and he my start- god. Exactly. And he yeah. starts preaching about it. And so, you know, take Mark kind of like that. Yeah. You know, easy for anybody to pick up and read. Mm. Um a couple of things, you know, to kind of end Mark um and the way he presents Christ, you know, the peaceful servant is kind of mm. the title I gave to the book of Mark. Yeah. Right. Um, or a subtitle, I guess, right? Um, we, we, we look at a couple of words. Um, peaceful. Um, so, arenikos, mm. peaceful. Uh, focus. It has a focus of having freedom. Uh, you can find this word only twice mm. in the entire New Testament. Hebrews 12.11 and James 3.17. Interesting. Only two times I could find. Um, and then the word that arenikos is kind of, it, it comes off of is um, irene peace itself the noun peace yeah. uh, meaning a harmonious relationship and we do find that in mark um mark chapter 5 and verse 34 and i'll just go ahead and read it right quick because uh, you know why not but mark 34 says um and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your affliction do you know uh where this is located what's going on here is this the healing of the, like the official's daughter? What's his name? Mm-mm. So I might get myself mixed up a little bit, but it's okay. Um, so Jesus is kind of walking through town. Uh, he's done healed a little girl and some lady nobody okay, knows about. The lady, I was close. I was in. I was in the context, just not the right. Yeah. One. So he's walking through town, and some lady's like, "If I just touch the hem of his mm-hmm. garment," and she does, and she's immediately healed of her hemorrhaging. Um, and then that's what he says. Um, mm. Yep, verse 34, go in peace. And, and that's that word there, Irene, and be healed of your affliction. So she now has that, you know, freedom from yeah. her affliction. Yeah. Um, and she has that, you know, that state of being. Now, servant, um, this is a word very familiar with Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, doulos. Yeah. Um, kind of the idea of subjugation subjugation subjection you know without bondage mm-hmm. um while i would say in a sense we are bonded to christ right we have our own free will uh to do his will yeah. if we want to and so we're servants and you know we're servants in the way that jesus was a servant mm-hmm. you know he washed the disciples feet he healed he you know he did things for other people right he died yeah um and then serve um Diakoneo, 
I believe is what it is, uh, to minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the final thought that came is, you know, you know, why does Jesus serve? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he serves because that's his mission. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, reading through Mark, you kind of get that question, you know, from the disciples, like, mm-hmm. why is Jesus serving? Why is he here? What is yeah. he doing? Why is he doing it? And I don't think they fully understand it. Like, you know, we, we just read about Peter, mm-hmm. how he, we didn't read, I mentioned it. Um, he says, yeah, you are the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he still doesn't understand the mission at that point. And what it, yeah, what it actually means and all that. Right. And it's not until, you know, and Jesus says it clearly, it's not until after I die mm-hmm. that you're going to understand it. Um, and so we just have to, you know, we kind of got to roll with it. Um, you know, we serve like Jesus served, you know, he is the bridegroom. Absolutely. And I mean, if Jesus is the master, you know, the servant is not above the master. That's the words of Jesus himself. You know, if he came to serve, then we come to serve as well. Right. And we, we do what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, you can run from it, but you know, it doesn't, you know, eventually God's going to bring you to it. Yeah. You know, um, I feel like we could do a whole episode on just serving and what that means. Yeah, it'd be a long one. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a quadrillion examples. Yeah. I mean, in the Gospels alone. Like I say a quadrillion, but, you know, you could definitely number them. But of Jesus serving mm-hmm. and how he serves mm-hmm. and the mindset he's in when he serves. Yep. Um, so it's important um, that we make this distinction that, you know, Jesus is not only king, mm-hmm. okay, as we looked at, week one mm-hmm. that he's a ruler that he has majesty and glory yep. but that he's also a servant you know somebody who is the least among mm-hmm. the people that are around the one who does for everybody else the one who gives their time their resources their money yep and you know it's like how do you reconcile those two together mm-hmm. and you really can't um but that's all with mark um sorry i didn't have scripture references for uh you know servant serve but you can you can it's, go. There's so many. Yeah, I mean, there's doulos. So that's literally like every other word in any writing of Paul. Just about it. It's true. It's it's mentioned at least a hundred plus times in the New Testament. Probably like seven hundred times in the New Testament. Yeah. But, but anyways, um, that's Mark. Go read it. It's it's it's, it's an easy quick, read. It's a quick read. Yeah, you could you get it done in like an hour or two. Bust it out quick. I mean, I'm sitting here reading these six seven hundred page books in a couple of days. Yeah, and Mark is like a fourteen chapter book. I bet if it was if it was a book all its own, it'd probably be like three chapters. Probably like, well, I mean, it's different because obviously in a book, the way they style the pages and all that are different. I mean, it'd probably be like a hundred page book, maybe if like that. an eighty page book. Yeah, if they like made the text bigger and filled it out on a page, it'd be like one of those. Um, it'd be like a novella. Yeah, I was going to say, like, one of those, uh, you know, the short, thick ones. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That everybody, you uh, know, puts in the bathroom so they can read once in, like, every 30 days. Yep. Not that I would relegate the gospel to that, uh, but in terms of, like, you know, how big it is. Yeah. It's pretty small, but it's good. Any last thoughts? Uh, obviously, follow us on YouTube. Uh, hit that notification bell. Subscribe. Is there anything else with that? We're at the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, Hit the like button. 
There we go. That's what it was. I'm trying on to everything. I'm trying to remember. If there's a heart, if there's a like, if there's a save, if there's a favorite, you there's hit a it. star. There's a star. Hit the five stars. <laughs> five star <laughs> review. Yep. I think uh, one last thing I would say. How would you, in terms of like the Gospels, ranking them as your favorite? I think we did this last week. Where would you put Mark? Oh, that's tough. Because I don't want to put Mark at the bottom, but. Like I mean, somebody's got to go. I mean, obviously John is the best, and like, what do you do with Luke? It's got the Good Samaritan. That's like the epitome of parables. <laughs> I know, and it kind of sucks that Mark leaves that out. I know, and it's but it's only in Luke. We don't see it anywhere else, you know. But then like Matthew, it's like there's so much in there, so much teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount. Like maybe we should do a ranking. Let's do a video of a ranking and like rank the different gospels and the different things that are unique to the gospels. And see where they rank. I'm gonna tell you, Mark was like really hard to look at and like kind of mm-hmm. figure out the differences between it and Matthew and Luke. Cause it, man, it's like because Mark's like the same thing. It's yeah, just, they're all it's like just, the same thing. It's just less. It's like it's the same thing, but less. <laughs> yeah, and everything when 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 you read these three, right? Everything is like in different spots. Yeah, slightly different spots, and it's like. And it amazes me when people are able to, like, make a chronology, a timeline of events. Oh, based off of the three. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, how? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this event happened here, and then this one happened there. And it's like. Oh, like, for example, how Jesus went to Nazareth twice. Yeah. And couldn't do miracles twice. It's two very different accounts that happened at two very different times. Luke is a completely different account than, like, Mark's account of it. They're, like, completely different. Or how there's, like, two accounts of him going into the temple and, like, turning everything over yep. and clearing out the temple. Yep. And it's like, did it happen twice or did it happen once? And this yeah. is just a uh, Obviously, the, like, the top, like, S plus plus tier is obviously going to be the feeding of the 5,000 because it's found in all four Gospels. Oh, yeah, that is true. It's, like, the only miracle found even, in all four Gospels. Yeah, and even that's debated on how many times it happens. Like, is it 5,000? Is it 4,000? Is it? Yeah. Technically, it wasn't 5,000. It was like 20-some thousand. Oh, yeah, because it was just the men that were counted. Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, but, yeah, excited to continue with Luke and John. I feel like they just get better. I mean, I think Luke's mm. probably better than Matthew. So you'd say Matthew's at the bottom based off of that? No, I mean, I would say it'd be like Mark, then Matthew, then Luke, then John. So Mark is at the bottom. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, uh, in terms of content, yeah, bottom. Yeah. But in terms of, like... How easy it is to read? Oh, it's to top. Boom, top. top to top. Absolutely the top. Yeah. Anyways, that's enough uh, rambling. Check us out. Check out the past episodes. Yeah. Check everything out. Hit that notification bell again. Yeah, because this mess comes out on um, Mondays. Every Monday. And then on YouTube on Thursdays. Yep. So, so look out. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Next time. You have reached the end of the record. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our YouTube and also find us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify.